This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. I really encourage parents not to make money a taboo topic at home because there is research that shows that kids who are taught about money at home from their parents are more confident and optimistic about their financial futures and better prepared for the decisions they'll face. And they do want to learn from their parents. So if you don't talk about it, it's a missed opportunity. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batmiwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. My guest today is Robin Tubb. Robin is the author of The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent and Smart for Life, a book that gives parents the information and skills they need to teach their kids about money. Robin has held professional positions in audit and tax at two of Canada's largest accounting firms and spent five years in the complex financial world of derivatives. She lives in Toronto, where she and her husband have raised two mostly money-smart young adults. Robin, welcome. Thanks, Marina. Robin, now you're an accountant and spent many years in the corporate world. How did you end Mm -hmm. up writing a book about teaching kids about money? Yes, that's right. I did start off my career working in two of the big four firms, and then I ended up working in real estate for a time. But the way the book came to be was that I'm an accountant by training, and I was doing some volunteer work for the governing body for accountants in Canada. And it had to do with advancing women into positions of leadership within the profession. So nothing to do with financial literacy. But it was around 2007, 2008, after the global financial crisis, and there was attention being paid to this issue of financial literacy. And this governing body did some research, which found that parents in particular were struggling with how to teach their kids about money. So their research found that 78% of parents had tried, but two-thirds didn't feel they'd been very successful at it, and more than half didn't even know what information they needed. So they decided they were going to do something about it. It was the first consumer publication they had ever done. They had mostly created guides for accountants, and they knew me because of this other volunteer work I was doing, and they knew I had kids, and I was doing some work in financial literacy at the time. And so they approached me and they asked me to write a book to help parents teach their kids. And that's the genesis of the book. And then that was about 12 years ago. So The Wisest Investment is now an update to that book that I originally wrote. Okay. So that book quickly became a bestseller. Why Mm -hmm. do you think it resonated with people in particular parents so much? Right. I think it was a bunch of things. It was probably the time, as I said, it came out in 2011, few years after the global financial crisis, people were concerned about being financially literate, which means having the knowledge, skills, and confidence to make responsible financial decisions at every life stage. And also, I really wanted to make a book that parents would want to pick up and read that was accessible and approachable and written in plain language, and that really gave them a financial roadmap 
at different stages of their kids' lives. And I wanted to give them a framework for how to think about these conversations, because as I said, most parents don't even know what information they need. So I think that's why it resonated. It's very practical and very, you know, geared for families with kids at different ages and stages. Yeah, I really liked that, the way it targeted different levels, because obviously you're talking to kids at different stages of their life in a completely different way. And what Mm -hmm. I really like about your book is that it's extremely comprehensive. I mean, it covers everything (laughs) from just basic budgeting, how to set up a budget, to talking to your kids about topics like cryptocurrency. Yeah. You discuss many ways you can teach your children, no matter what age there are. So can you give us some tips? How young can you start teaching your kids about financial literacy? Well, you can start as soon as they show an interest and they express curiosity about money. And for most kids, in most families, that starts around age five when they go to school and they see what other kids have and do, and they start asking for things. But, you know, I say to parents, you know, your own children best of anyone. So you'll know when it's the right time to start. Some kids are very interested in money at a very early age and others may not be, but you'll take your cues from them and you want to take advantage of their natural curiosity because your kids will ask you questions and you want to make sure that you're taking the time to answer them and that you're answering at a level that's appropriate for their age. Right. So five, wow, five seems young, but it's not too young, is it? Because certain concepts can be taught. Well, yeah, the way I approached it, Marina, and you know, you've read the book, so you've seen that there's a chapter for each of four different stages. So young kids, which covers like the five to eight, preteens, nine to 12, teenagers, 13 to 17, and then emerging adults, 18 and over. And within each of those chapters, I talk about the five pillars of money, earn, save, spend, share, and invest. So even for five-year-olds, even for the young age group, those five topics are still the way for parents to think about this and approach it. But the specific topics and examples are going to be different for a five-year-old than they are going to be for an 18-year-old, obviously. So you can really start teaching even children as young as five or six about earning because they do earn, in quotes, money from the tooth fairy or for holidays or gifts, they do get money in. And then the whole idea is to introduce them to the fact that then you have to make some choices that you can save it or spend it or share it or invest it. So that's really the way I think about it and the way I encourage parents to think about it, no matter how old your kids are. You know, I was recently talking to a group of mothers and their daughters, high school age daughters. Mm -hmm. And one of the things the mothers were really quite concerned and possibly terrified about was the way money is no longer so tangible and there's Mm -hmm. electronic payment and that seems something of a concern and that's something that you do address in your book. Yes. So when the first edition of this book came out, it was 2011. So we weren't really in this cashless society that we have found ourselves in now and that was accelerated by the pandemic. So that was one of the things that when I updated it, I really wanted to address the fact that Yes, it is harder to teach our kids about money when money's not this concrete thing anymore. It's not tangible because when you do pay for something with cash, spend cash and hand it over, there is that visceral sense of loss. You kind of lose touch with that when you're using, you're tapping your phone or you're tapping plastic. There are ways to bring back those feelings and these mobile tools that we have with mobile banking and and apps 
where you can set notifications and alerts when you're spending money brings back that reminder that you've parted with cash. But it is much easier to spend today than it was 10 or 15 years ago because spending is frictionless. There's so many quick ways to do it. You don't feel it. And saving is still really hard to save. So yeah, I can see why parents are a little panicky or, or freaked out about you know, their kids entering a world where they're on social media and even within these apps now there's social commerce features and you can just buy something like, you know, while you're still in an app. Which really makes financial literacy even more important before kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned you revised your book after the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. What was different after the pandemic that compelled you to revise the book? Well, I think like the initial impetus for the book, which was the global financial crisis of 2008, it was the same wake up call for families because overnight everything changed. Everything was shut down. People didn't know if they'd still have their jobs or their businesses. And I think there was a lot of initial belt tightening and panic and concern. And if people didn't have an emergency fund or you know some backup liquid funds, there was a lot of nervousness around that. So for a lot of families, it was a, a wake-up call for the need to be financially prepared, to be capable, to just have the skills, the knowledge, skills, and confidence, as I said earlier, to deal with whatever life throws at you, because you really don't know what that's going to be. And I mean, right now, there's a whole banking crisis going on, and that is, you know, going to, who knows, you know, how deep that's going to go or how long it's going to last. And, you know, we've come into a time of inflation and high interest rates. So whatever situation we find ourselves in, if you have that basic level of knowledge about earning, saving, spending, sharing, and investing, I think you're going to be okay. And parents want to know that their kids are going to be okay. So I really tried to focus on, you know, still the evergreen concepts, but just paying attention to the fact that we really accelerated this digital world that we're living in by the pandemic. And then just some of our habits changed too with more online shopping, which again, makes it easier. You don't even have to leave your house to buy things or your kids don't, you know, they're online, they're playing games and they're, you know, they're spending money all the time. So it just really accelerated a lot of those trends. I like that reassuring message that if you know these handful of things, then you're going to be okay. And I think that is a reassuring message when sometimes finances in the financial world seem so daunting to people that you really can break yes. into some very basic and almost common sense concepts. It is overwhelming. I mean, I understand why for most parents, it's hard enough for themselves to learn these things and have good habits and then add to that the responsibility to teach your kids. So yeah, I think though, if you try to just simplify it, as I said, with these five pillars of money, just focus on the stage that your child is in now, or if you have more than one child, like, you know, their specific stage and just try and take it one step at a time. Great advice. Now you also address how important it is to just talk about money at home. And that's something we focus on a lot in this podcast because many Mm -hmm. families just do not have a comfort level with talking about money with their children. Right. It is still a taboo topic. You know, a lot of us have been socialized to think that it's tacky or uncouth to talk about money, to ask how much things cost or to ask someone how much they make. Those things are private. And I think this younger generation is a lot more comfortable with sharing everything, including some of those confidential details. Within a family, 
I really encourage parents not to make money a taboo topic at home because there is research that shows that kids who are taught about money at home from their parents are more confident and optimistic about their financial futures and better prepared for the decisions they'll face. And they do want to learn from their parents. So if you don't talk about it, it's a missed opportunity. Right. Now you have had a career in accounting and finance. Did Mm -hmm. your parents influence you in any way? How was money dealt with in your home growing up? Right. So my parents were not financial professionals. My father was a lawyer. My mother was a teacher. And, you know, growing up in school, like I liked numbers always. That was something I always enjoyed. But I also liked words. Like I always enjoyed writing and reading and that kind of stuff. So I guess I was attracted to a career that was numbers oriented, but I wasn't like hardcore. Like my brother became an engineer. That's not my thing. So when I went to university, at first, I didn't know what I wanted to study. And my parents did, you know, encourage me to sort of keep my options open. But as it got closer, I actually did the opposite. I narrowed my options because in order to get into the commerce program at the University of Toronto, you had to take certain prerequisite classes like accounting, economics, and calculus, and then two others. And I took English and French, actually, languages. So I think my parents just always encouraged me to go to university and to pursue what, you know, what I was interested in. And once I got there and, you know, I applied to the program and I got in and once I was in the program, the commerce and finance program, then it became like each year a little more obvious that I was going to pursue a professional designation in accounting just because I liked the idea of having a profession. So, I mean, my parents were are educated people. Um, They certainly were responsible with money, but it wasn't like you know, they made a big point of teaching me. I feel like I really learned mostly through my education, my formal education. And you have two children. What have been the most important lessons you've taught them? So yeah, my kids are now in their like mid to late 20s. And I guess different than my own parents. So my husband's an accountant too. So there was always like money talk at home because we met actually at one of these accounting firms, but he ended up going out on his own very early on and having his own business. So we always talked about his business. We talked about financial things. Like it was just part of the conversation in our household. It wasn't a taboo thing. For my kids, it was sort of a natural, like they knew about money and that kind of stuff. But then I guess as I got older, and especially once they were in high school and they were getting allowance and they had independence. I really wanted to know that I didn't have to hover over everything that they were doing. I didn't have to be involved with every decision they make or totally worry about what they were up to. So I just wanted them to have the basic skills I described. Like I wanted them to know how to make money in the summer, you know, or have a part-time job and how to spend it responsibly and how to budget and how to anticipate their needs. And I have to say that they are really responsible that way. Like I never worry that they're being frivolous or wasteful. They both really understand that money's a finite resource. And I think they have good respect for that. And like, you know, we talk about some of the bigger picture things, but on a day-to-day basis, I just trust that they can manage their lives. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. And I think what it is, is that you've set them up with the basics. And again, that's what counts. And then you know, the decisions are up to them. Yeah. Like I don't get involved in how much rent they pay or what they're budgeting for food. Like I just trust that they know what they're doing and that they know how to 
make the right decisions when it comes to their resources. And I feel really good about that. And your daughter's a financial professional, just like you. Your son is not. So they're on very different tracks. Yes, they are. So she is a CPA by training as well. And she's also pursuing her CFA designation. So definitely like serious financial professional. And my son is like a philosophy grad. And he's also a freelance sound engineer and does sound for live events. But the funny thing is like, so he's running his own business. So he has to understand some very basic things about accounting and tax. And he does. Because even though his interests lie elsewhere, we always felt it was important for him to understand that stuff. So he took accounting in high school and he, you know, he is financially literate and he is definitely on top of keeping track of his you know, revenues and expenses now as a freelancer. So it's, it's good to see. Yeah. So important. Does that, I think that's the whole point. It doesn't matter what line of business or line of work you end up in. Everybody needs to be financially literate. I feel that way. Yes, I really do. So what advice do you have for people raising girls in today's world? Right. So, you know, there still are barriers for women, you know, to advance into positions of leadership to earn as much as their male counterparts. And, you know, we do live longer on average than men do and things don't always work out as planned. So I think as we raise our girls, we want them to be financially independent to be confident in their decisions, to have practice making these decisions as they grow up and when the stakes are low and they can learn from mistakes. I think that society, you know, there's societal pressures and women are, you know, just girls grow up with different expectations around money than men. And some of it gets internalized that, you know, women don't invest, that's, you know, left for the men and, you know, women can manage the day-to-day household expenses. So I think we just have to sort of take those stereotypes out of our heads and as women and mothers of girls, just encourage them to get involved with their finances, to educate themselves, to be equal partners in those kinds of decisions in the household. And, you know, to try and break some of these societal norms around women and money. And maybe we can close these, you know, these wage gaps and these wealth gaps. Robin, Where can people learn more about you and your book? Right. So the book is called The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life. And you can go to the website for the book, which is thewisestinvestment.com, and there's links to buy it on Amazon. And then I also have a website that focuses more on my speaking engagements, and that's robintobe.com. So Robin with an I, T-A-U-B. And on each of those websites, I have some interesting self-assessment tools for parents. So on robintobe.com, there's a values validator to help you discover what your values are, to help you use them to set meaningful goals and kind of act as a framework to help prioritize financial decisions. And then on thewisestinvestment.com, I have a self-assessment to help parents see what kind of financial role model they are for their kids and what kind of role model they can be. So, And those are both free on those two websites. That could be very enlightening to see what kind mm-hmm. of role model. Yeah. Right, it is. Because it's not something everyone always thinks about. Like if you're not aware of the type of example that you're setting, because kids really do emulate their parents. And 
We want to try and be good role models, good financial role models for our kids. Terrific resources. Thank you so much. Robin Tobe, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Marina. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com. 